0: Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves, and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, today is part two of a two-part conversation. Last week I started the conversation with Katie Wetzel and Julia Roop, two moms, and we talked about calming for us parents. Today we're moving on to tell our own stories about calming and our teens. Well, both Katie and Julia are certified parent coaches with connected families, and you can get their contact information by tapping through to the show notes. Okay, well, before I jump back into that conversation, I want to be sure that you don't miss, we are running a discount for a limited time on our newest online course called Sensitive and Intense Kids. It's 30% off. We only do this once a year. I want to read to you this great testimonial that a parent sent into us here it is she said i appreciated the mix of science faith and daily life like isn't that just us that's connected families right there but she also said there were a lot of practical ideas and the soul care videos were just so life-giving and encouraging i desperately needed the practical help that this course provided that's from a mom named lissa and i want to read you one other because we've gotten some testimonials from some professionals And we just feel so honored when they take the time to send that in. And so this one comes from Carly Dorsey. She's an occupational therapist and owner of her own therapy center in Intel, South Carolina. (laughs) So you can look her up if you live in that area. But she says this, as a pediatric OT, I know that parents play a huge role along a child's path to progress and therapy. Connected Families Sensitive and Intense course is a goldmine of occupational therapy insight and strategies. Not only does it provide education on fundamental concepts and tools in sensory integration, but it goes above and beyond to assist families in building connections so parents can naturally implement strategies With a grace-filled approach, Carly, we're just so grateful that you sent in that testimonial and endorsement of the course. Well, hey, everybody, the course is available year-round, but for a few more weeks, it's on discount for less than $100 and there's scholarships. Tap through to the show notes to our website and check out all the information. I hope you register soon. Listen, hundreds and hundreds of families have found it to be so life-giving in parenting their precious, sensitive, and intense kids. Check it out. Hey, Katie Wetzel, welcome back to the show. Hey. I'm glad to have you. And Julia Roop, welcome again. Thank you so much. You guys, we had a great conversation in part one where we were talking about calming for parents and just the hard work. You shared a lot of your stories. So... I would say anyone listening, if you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to that because it's just, it's the foundation for the conversation that we're continuing on today to talk about calming for our teens. We didn't feel like we could start with calming for our teens (laughs) until we had talked about calming for ourselves as parents. And, you know, I heard a a testimonial that came from one of our coaches recently, and I just thought it was so perfect to start off this conversation about our teens. It was a parent that had come to coaching for a few sessions, four or five sessions. And the coach said to the parent, I know that things felt so insurmountable to you a few months ago. This parent had a middle schooler with high anxiety, almost panic attacks. And the coach asked, what made the difference? And the parent said, I don't need to panic anymore. I have the tools. And the coach asked, what would you tell yourself three months ago? And the parent said, to trust. Trust myself, trust the Lord, and wait for the growth to happen. It will be okay. And I just loved that story because... That coaching client, that parent had done the work that we talked about in part one. Their heart had been changed and they had found that the Lord is trustworthy. They had gotten tools that that parent had gone through the sensitive and intense kids online course and received tools. Katie, Julia, have you guys gone through the course?
1: Yes, it's fabulous. Yep. <laughs> yes.
0: That was a setup because I know for sure that you have. In fact, I think that you guys even lead small groups in it, don't you? In, in January and February. Yep. Oh, yeah, I've awesome. been was
2: the moderator the first go around, and so this time I'm going to try my hand at small group leading
0: for it. That's fantastic. We'll have links in the show notes so that anyone could connect with either of you to get more information about you to meet with you because I know you're both meeting with clients. But let's dive into our topic today because all three of us have teenagers. And this is where our hearts are just like, we're excited to have this conversation. Julia, I'm going to start with you. We discussed in part one about our own calming strategies our journey to learning to ask ourselves what's going on inside of me and correcting our belief systems so that we can show up in ways that we want and that just brings me back to the diagram that is in the sensitive and intense course it's the road to hope and there's two cycles the stress cycle and the healing cycle when you think about your journey asking yourself what's going on in me and you're thinking about the cycles that we can be in with our kids. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think we realized pretty soon into being with connected families that we were in negative cycles and the same things would happen over and over again. We would say something and it would escalate our our child and then we would escalate and they would escalate. And seeing that diagram really opened my eyes that when I come into a discipline situation, There's really only two options that I have. I can either escalate the situation with fear and anxiety, control, anger, or I can soothe the situation. And those really are my only two options. And it's up to me, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. why we started last week with what's going on in me, because I can't soothe my child if I'm not soothed, if I'm not calm, right? But just realizing that really those were the only two options. For
2: me. Yeah. yeah, I just I remembered, that. as you were talking about the two options, Ephesians 6, 4, which is one of the few direct instructions we have as parents, which is to not provoke your children to anger or exasperate them, as it says in other translations, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which isn't that soothing? Isn't the discipline of the Lord soothing and life-giving? And so we see those two options in Scripture, too. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a finger pointing to
0: which one we should work towards. I mean, it's soothing. Yes, it's soothing in the sense that we know that God is for us, not against mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And and he is working all things for good. And it's not always, it doesn't always feel soothing, I would say, Katie. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> eventually, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> long term. <laughs> right. in our minds, we know it is, but it's the heart behind it. It's the I am for you that we know is true about the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we want our kids to know is true about us as we parent them.
1: And for me, so often the discipline of the Lord does come gently, it comes strong, and his word pierces and convicts, but it's gentle. And I didn't see that side of parenting when I started. And I really didn't even see God that way. I did not see him as someone. So when I read passages about the Lord's discipline, it made me feel fearful of the Lord. But now as I've seen, wait a minute, really taking a look at how the Lord deals with me and how he deals with me gently and patiently, long suffering, not, he's not addressing every sin I have all the time. He's, he knows he's got a long journey with me, right? So he's patient with me. And seeing that side of the Lord has helped me go, oh, wait a minute. He is not quick to anger. The Bible says he's slow to anger and he's not short on compassion. The Bible says he's full of compassion. And so it really began to reshape how I saw God dealt with me, which then gave me permission to say, wait a minute, if God is so gentle in dealing with me and so compassionate and so slow to anger, I should be that way. I can soothe my child. It gave me permission to not have to to control my child and fix things right away and focus on every bad behavior. It gave me permission to breathe and love them like God loves me.
0: Julia, that was so well said. And it's the intro of every podcast that I say we are receiving God's grace and truth so that we can pass it on to our kids. It's hard to pass on when you don't even feel it yourself. And and that's where we're coming to calming for our teens because the way that we are passing on that grace and truth, the way that we're passing on kind and firm and showing up in the moment can either escalate the situation, which means we're tossed into this stress cycle. That's what we call it in the sensitive and intense course. Or we can show up in ways where we have done the work that we talked about in part one asking ourselves what's going on in me so that we can show up with you are safe with me. And then we're tossed into the other cycle that sensitive and intense talks about, which is the healing cycle. So Katie, let me ask you, you know, you said in part one, you've been around connected families teachings for almost 10 years. So I wonder what calming and teaching our kids to come, what does that look like at different ages and stages? So
2: I will first preface and say it's my oldest, who I would describe as both sensitive and intense. And so he taught me a lot. And when he entered early adolescence, we knew that the teenage brain changes had begun. And I learned that the brain changes happen before the body. So from the medical perspective, we focus a lot on the physical changes of puberty But when I became a parent, I was like, there is more happening here. (laughs) Something else is up. And and I learned that, you know, the changes in the brain come first before the body. So uh, that helped me understand why my big feeler was all now at a whole nother level. And so early adolescent, those preteen years, often defined as nine to 13, but boys and girls are a little bit different timelines. Girls tend to be a couple of years ahead of boys. And then there's individual differences, but around nine to 13 for my son, it was like right at 10. Yeah, it got harder. And, and that's when we kind of realized he had an anxiety issue outside the norm an exceptional issue with anxiety. And so he needed a lot of direct support and calming. I needed more support to calm because it was more intense for all of us, but he needed me more to support him. He needed me to listen and coach him through. And man, the framework came in handy big time. Some skills I learned through psychiatric nursing, motivational interviewing helped me big time. And I saw that reflected in the space training that I did later. But all that to say, I was his primary support. calming. He needed me, especially for him. who tended towards a bit of social anxiety. His friends didn't see it at church. People didn't see it. I've got glowing reports, but at home he would fall apart. And I would say the next kids along the way, Mm -hmm. that season of preteen really brought a lot to the surface too, of what was going on in them emotionally with anxiety disorders, trauma from adoption, things like that. Then mid-teenage years, so like 14, 15, things got a little better. I remember my son telling me about how he was feeling anxious and how he had used a strategy himself and felt better. And I celebrated with him. (laughs) He found friends he could talk to when he was struggling. And he told me about it and I celebrated for him. Now I'll say at first, I was like, oh no, I didn't know you were struggling. But I held that in because <laughs> that was about me. <laughs> and then I saw my child. I'm like, yay, that you were able to pick up that skill. Yay, that you have found friends that support you and, and help you through that. And I celebrated with them, but I told them, like, hey, you know, what I know from the research is that near later teenage years, some kids struggle with anxiety again. So I'm so glad you're doing great now. And if you do great from now until forever, wonderful. But if you struggle again, you can tell me, you know, we can work on that. And sure enough, not long ago, he let me know he was struggling with anxiety about college and all these big decisions and all these new things he was having to figure out. And even a few weeks ago told me that, hey, I've talked to my friends. And then I talked to my leader at church and they said, I should talk to you. Okay, I'm like now third in the chain, but okay, you know, I've been really struggling with depression and, you know, my friends and my leader thought it might be good for me to find a counselor to work on my coping skills. Can you help me find a counselor? And so I said, absolutely. But all that to say that example of it just made me realize like I'm third down the line now and i'm tempted to see that as something wrong or something i missed but i'm realizing like no i'm still in the the picture i'm just a part of his support community i went from being his primary major supporter to now I'm a part of a larger community that he's developed and praise God that he is developing a supportive community that includes the church as a Christian mom. Like that's my greatest hope. So that's the transition I've seen uh, is that, yeah, he gained some skill on his own, but he expanded his network and I still got to be a part of
0: that change. Yeah, it reminds me of a podcast we did last year. It was with Encircled. We'll have that linked in our show notes. But it just reminds me of how parents can be involved and even, you know, who are the influences around our kids and facilitating various mentors or, you know, youth group leaders that will be good influences to our kids as they grow older and trusted places. So, check out that in the show notes. Julia, I think that there's parents out there that are like, "Wow, my kids would not be as articulate as Katie's kids. They wouldn't tell me, "Mom, I'm having an issue, you know, with depression." So, there is this sense of parents really needing to keep their eyes open and judgments down and just really seeking the Lord about, you know, what are they seeing? that's under the surface with their kids. And and I wonder if you have any thoughts around that.
1: Yeah, so after working on that first layer of what's going on in me, just really starting to think, what's it like to be my child? What's going on in my child? And it had been brought to my attention that a lot of times teenagers are like a pressure cooker. And I think in the sensitive and intense course, we say that kids have a backpack, right? And it's full of books and papers and stuff that we don't even realize that they're carrying. Big rocks, right? It's heavy. And from day to day, that might change. And we don't always know what's in there. And maybe unlike kids who might be willing to take that out with mom and dad, I don't know. I know with my situation, the pressure cooker made a lot of sense because there would just be an explosion and it would be, it'd be tempting to take it personally. And probably a year ago I did. And now just that understanding that, okay, my children are under a lot of pressure that I don't even realize. And so I have to take the time to remember what was it like to be them at 15, 16, 17 and worrying about relationships and how I looked. And and now they worry about social media and worrying about jobs and grades, all these things that are on their plate. So it's been super helpful for me just to remember, even if I don't know exactly what my child is going through or what they're feeling, I know that there's a lot. And so there's just that grace. For my children. And then also, because I do have a sensitive and intense child, I have never had them diagnosed with sensory issues. But it's become clear over time that that they have some. And there are times when they can't stand the chomping or the smells in the home or even things look messier to them than they really are. And so when when my child comes in the door and immediately is, is bothered by noises or lights or sound or smells, it just kind of puts me, ah, oh, something is going on in, in them, right? Hit their coping mechanism and their window of tolerance is smaller. So it just, it just gives me compassion to, okay, if we escalate tonight, I definitely want to make sure I'm ready to de-escalate and not take things personally. So really understanding what is going on in them being, Mindful of that has been also been really important in our journey. I'd also say that in the Sensitive and Intense course, it says that compassion is the key to patience. A lot of time we try to muster up patience, and I think kids can see it when we're not truly patient, right? When we're just trying to muster that up. But when we ask the question, what's going on? What's it like to be them? Then there's a compassion there that can maybe hold on and be patient a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, I think the teenage years in particular, in regards to your question, Stacy, they're just at, at least my oldest, because my second one does virtual school at home. So he's with me all the time. <laughs> but my older son, the the difference was I wasn't around to see everything that was happening with him. He was off to school and then to work and then with friends or, you know, in his room. And so when he would burst out, have the, the explosion, like you said, and, and, and it's definitely better than when he was younger, (laughs) but you know, when I would see it, his, for him, his face gets red. That's a giveaway or he would snap really easily. And yeah, I would be really surprised because he just walked in the door and be like, Whoa, what's going on with you, buddy? You know, instead of taking it personally of just like, don't come in with that attitude. Don't, you know, just like showing some compassion, for his which explosion would escalate the situation, which wouldn't would it? escalate, and it's a boundary, but I'm still gonna hold that boundary in a compassionate way. Like I'm holding it by bringing it up and saying, Hey, what's going on with you? And then he's quick, we're very practiced at him recovering from explosions. And, and so, yeah, he does apologize and we move forward. But, uh, yeah, I would say that's something with the teenage years, it's even more of a surprise than when they're younger
1: and i would i would say in our in our home because we're still in the middle of our journey i just want to give hope to the parents that maybe their kids aren't quick to apologize or quick to come out of fight or flight that's kind of our story we're still where we're healing that brain right and so we're showing grace even sometimes when we're not treated the way we wish we would be treated and I think that still models Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That unconditional love that says, even when you aren't showing up the way I wish you would and treating me with the respect or kindness that I wish you would, I can still love you because I know in loving you, I'm modeling what it looks like. And then buying that time where I'm not correcting my children for the Holy Spirit to come in. And it's not, it's not too unusual now after a year and a half for my child to come back and, and apologize, my child to come back and be like, I'm really sorry. I was really stressed. I remember the first time that happened. I remember mm-hmm. the very first time because it was probably a year into connected families before we, we got that. And it was because of the do-overs we had been doing. And my child did come come back and say, you know, I really wish I hadn't done that. And I'm really sorry, that that's not what I want to do. And I can tell you, my husband and I's jaws just, just dropped <laughs> because we were so amazed that that had happened. And it happened from a, a pure loving heart, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a beautiful moment for us. But I just want to encourage parents that maybe aren't, getting that respectful response now. For us, it was okay to put that on hold and know that as we modeled it, so we mm-hmm. modeled respect and kindness, that that most likely was going to be coming back around.
0: And even if it doesn't really... I want to show up as a parent that is honoring to the Lord, that is filled with the fruit of the spirit for myself, because I am accountable to the Lord for how I speak and how I react. And then I come along with what we've already said, asking the Lord for his wisdom on how to shepherd my child, train my child into greater wisdom so that they can be a blessing in the world.
2: Yeah, I've definitely shifted my thinking of from demands on my child to invitations to my child. You know, all the good desires we have for our kids to honor the God-given boundaries we have in our ability and see that as I'm inviting my child into wisdom. I'm inviting my child into repair. I'm creating space for them to come and know that they can receive grace from me.
0: I mean, Katie, that was it. so huge for me in my parenting journey with teenagers too, because it's an invitation, a continual invitation. Because especially if you have a child that that has some stress, that has some trauma, that has, you know, any anything like that, under any underlying issues, and they are in fight or flight, more often maybe than not, or or they're quickly into fight or flight, then they resist demands. And they resist control. So what does it look like to come to them with invitations for just about everything? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it was, you know, cleaning or what are your ideas or just all sorts of different things. So I, I wonder, Julia, do you have any thoughts on that? Invitations to your children.
1: Right. And and sometimes we have to be careful because those invitations for my my kiddo could feel like controlling. So mm-hmm. they had to truly be invitations, right? Mm-hmm. They had to be truly moments where I would I would ask them, you know, would you like to hear what I have to say about that? Or would you like to hear my thoughts about that? And sometimes the answer was yeah. And sometimes the answer was no, mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't. And saying things like, you know, if you ever want my help with figuring out some solutions, I'd love to give you some ideas. And it might be a couple of days later that they come back to me But instead of me actually saying, I invite you to do this, or I invite you to do that for at least my kiddos, that felt even too controlling. So it was more along the lines of just saying, hey, I have some ideas and some thoughts
2: about that. And thinking about all the people listening who have younger kids who are trying to look ahead and plan ahead, that can start when they're younger. You know, my daughter, my youngest is very sensitive to feeling controlled also just her personality, uh, you know, sensitive, intense, whatever you want to call it for whatever reason. And so, yeah, asking her like, Oh, what do you want to do about that? You know, what do you think? So I was thinking about that with her. And then that's evolved to, you know, my teenagers for me, after all those years of that delicate balance (laughs) of holding boundaries, but also inviting them towards maturity and Navigating, you know, what's my responsibility, what's theirs. Now my my teens ask me for wisdom. My fourteen year old would be like, "Well, I was having this issue with my little sister, and this is what happened. What do you think I should have done? You know, differently." I'm like, "You're asking me instead of me telling you." <laughs> and then the other day, my teen was dealing with with a big issue with a friend around gender identity, and he asked me like well, I know what this and this person thinks about it. What do you think about it? And I didn't think I've been quiet about what I think, but it was like, I don't know, it was a moment I'll treasure of him inviting me to share my opinion. So all that to say, that's groundwork you can lay at any time, the invitation piece. And what's beautiful is when they do start to return that. But yeah, it comes from modeling, like you said. I think it comes from that relationship work, right? When we're
1: in relationship, then we have influence. So keeping that relationship a big priority instead of just focusing on behavior, that was a change coming to connected families. And it's a really important change we've made because we let go of some of the behaviors to get ourselves calm and show compassion over time. Then with the relationship, we had the opportunity to coach, to hold responsible. They want our opinions. They want to hear what we have to say. So we almost, We get those opportunities by doing the first and second layer of the framework and being safe and having our kids know that they're loved no matter what, then we get that opportunity, especially with teenagers, to continue to speak into their
0: lives. Because when they are a pressure cooker or they've got that big backpack of rocks and it all explodes, the way that we react in that moment is actually so important mm-hmm. to get us to the place where they might ask us for our opinion or to have that relational equity mm-hmm. so that we can have influence in the moments that we need to have influence because we really do need to have influence in you know all sorts of different conversations that we need to have with our kids. Because the Lord does tell us to teach, but we want to be wise in the times when we when we speak to them and when we teach, right, times when they're open to hearing what we have to say. So I co-wrote with Chad Hange, the Power of Questions online course. And I spoke at many churches around this. This is critical. Like the way that we interact in these ways is critical to the influence that we want to have with our teenagers when it comes to important issues. You know, I can remember when a book came home from the library at school and I was like, I want to react, I want to react big like this book, you know, <laughs> but now how do I grow wisdom and how do I deal with that different? And I remember that was maybe, I don't know, that was, it wasn't actually my school's library. It was the public library.
2: That really makes me think about some research I did. I was preparing to talk about preteens and I was looking at like, what do we researched and studied about the influence parents can have on kids? Parents want to influence their children towards wise behavior, right? That's the yes. good goal we all have. Yet, obviously, we're not all getting there. So when I looked at the research, two things that stood out to me that fall right in line with the framework was one, when they looked at all kinds of different factors around what causes children to really consider what their parents want and say, the thing that stood out was compassion towards the parents. And I was like, whoa, well, I guess that makes sense. But like, how do you make your kid have compassion towards you? If you even could, yeah, demand it. You have compassion for me, right? No, no, No. yeah, that's not how it works. But you know, it brought me back to scripture. And I was like, I love God, my father, because he first loved me. And so it told me if I keep having compassion towards my child, if I keep putting money in that bank, And if I can even pass on the love of God to them, that's how I inspire compassion (laughs) from my child. And the other study looked at how we coach our kids, right? How we uh, support them towards safe behaviors. This study was looking at risky behaviors in particular, and they looked at coercive parenting reactions where you're demanding and you're pressuring and you're, you know, putting it to them. That didn't work but what did was autonomy supportive autonomy being like hey you can do this and it's yours to do which is that you are called and capable and you're responsible i'm going to support you in that because i believe you are called and capable and i believe that this is your life that god has given you and he is in it with you too <laughs> you know and it's yours to make and and it's yours to discover so research you know, backs up what we're saying too, that this really is key, but there are some beautiful opportunities to point our
0: children to the Lord
2: in those things too.
0: And I love it because, you know, we get to the top of the framework, you are responsible for your actions. And that looks different with teenagers, especially as you know, we're kind of coming through the whole framework through the course of part one and part two of this podcast, as we're, we are working with our teenagers. And so when our teenager maybe gets a bump with the car or Or how about this one, Julia? We talked about this one ahead of time when maybe when our child doesn't get up in time for first hour at school. I had that one or (laughs) who has the car there was fighting over the car and who gets to drive it on what day. This is like the real stuff of I've done my work. And now how am I going to show up explosive and with, (laughs) with reactive control or with perspective on situation and growing. So talk a little bit about that, Julia. I'm
1: going to take a step back and refer to something that Connected Families calls the gifts gone awry, right? So all our lives, one of our children had been described as controlling, manipulative, demanding, all these negative labels that we really weren't helpful. We didn't know what to do with them except try to just control. And when I heard someone from connected families describe a child who is sensitive and intense. I said, ah, that's my son. That is, that describes him better. And I know a little bit better what to do with that. And then we have something called the gifts gone awry, right? That also gives us a different description. And my husband and I adopted that our child is fiercely independent and they are going to, they're going to learn most things the hard way. And so, you know, God had been telling me, let them go for years. I even have it in the journal when they were five that God was saying, let them go. Now that means something different at five than at 17. But I think the Lord was just saying, you're going to have to give this child some space to make decisions and make mistakes. And that is how this child's going to learn. I had one child that would learn from my words and one child that was going to go out there and just do it their own way. And so that was really hard to step back and give them that space and know that, that the decisions they make were going to cause some pain, right? And so we've been through yeah, the school, not getting up for school. And I remember the conversations that my husband and I had, right? Buying time and saying, okay, what do we want to do? What's the lesson that needs to be learned? It felt so unnatural to not demand in our home, you're going to get up and go to school. And that might be what someone in their home, that's the requirement. And they can they can do that with grace and, and empathy and compassion and have discussion and coaching. But for us in our situation, we decided, you know what? They need to learn from that. And I won't forget that this child came to me at the end of the year, very end of the year. And they said, you're not going to believe this, mom, but I am going to fail biology, even though I have straight A's in biology. And I said, oh no, what are you going to (laughs) do? And... And they said what a coaching question, Julia. Well done. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Cause this is your and I didn't say it. I wanted to be like, this is your problem, dude. Or you're, you're responsible. You're yeah. Responsible. I just said, what are you gonna do? And and they said, you know what though? I, I think I can go to school after school the rest of this week and go to Saturday school this weekend. And I think I can just make up enough days to to still get counted for this class. And I was like, wow, what a plan. So do you have that figured out? And, and they said, yeah, yeah, I've got it figured out. I'm like, oh, good. I hope that works out for you. Right. And that and yeah. that was when we left it. And it was a really good teaching time. Right. Just letting them figure it out. We've had lost jobs and relationships and, you know, you name it, cars and just not getting in the way of that natural consequence, that natural impact which would be so easy to, well, this time, you know, I'll pay for the car or, well, I'll go in and talk to your teacher. No, just saying, hey, buddy, you got this. I know you got this. You can figure this out. If you need help, let me know you're not alone. We're not leaving you alone in this. And then when they do mess up, instead of showing up with, I told you so, or lecturing, just showing up with empathy and remembering that, you know what, when I was a teenager, I messed up a lot too. And I can relate to that. And I can relate to what it feels like to lose a relationship or get in trouble for something I did and showing up with empathy. It's been a game changer for us.
2: So preparing for this podcast, I talked to my kids and also my neighbor kids about how their parents respond to them and what they, what their parents do well and what their parents wish they parents would do. And what came up over and over was they want to be heard and they don't want their parents to just fix it. And so parents, have me included, have this great impulse and and desire to provide for our kids and to protect them. But sometimes we can overdo that and it can come across as, I don't believe you're capable. We might even not even know how capable our kids are. And so as Stacy mentioned, asking questions and in your example, the way you asked it and the way you listened affirmed, Hey, you've got good ideas. You're capable of solving this. And then you listened to him and like, well, that sounds like a pretty good plan. I'm glad you figured that out. And you poured some focus and fertilizer on it. I mean, all the good things. So I think, yes, as parents are coming from a good place of wanting to provide and protect, but if we can take a step back and give our child some space and get to know them and listen to them, we can be witness to their growth. And I've just been amazed so many times at my kids' thought process, their maturity. They've been so much more
0: capable than I've given them credit for half the time. And what I loved about your story too, Julia, is that it doesn't have to be a me versus you because I'm in anxiety trying to control the situation and get my kids to have a good grade or I now I'm worried about passing, right? I have released that. Both to the Lord and to the understanding of no, you're responsible. And it is in your best interest for the natural impacts of the situation to teach you wisdom, not for me to come on in and do it. And I love that. So it takes it out of of what could be a potential contentious relationship. So good. Katie and Julia, it's been wonderful to have this conversation. I just thank you so much for sharing your own lives with us, your stories with us. And I know that so many of us grew from hearing your stories and wisdom. So thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure, for sure.
0: Thanks for tuning in today, friends. Don't forget that right now is the once a year discount on the Sensitive and Intense Kids online course. Tap through to the show notes to get all the information. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.